Welcome back to the Tea Room and Happy New Year to you. We've got a great lineup of topics for the next few months, everything from how to optimize your income to the latest drug therapies to deep dives into the pressures that GPs are facing. I'm also excited to be pressing on with our ongoing long COVID special series. But for our first episode of 2023, I've put in a long distance call all the way to Denmark. Why Denmark, you may ask? Well, the model for general practice in Denmark actually works in a very good way. So two guests are joining us to talk about the Danish model for primary care. Professor Jens Sunago is a GP, a clinical pharmacologist, and among other research affiliations, he leads the general practice research unit at the University of Southern Denmark. Professor Sunago is joined by Professor Janus Thompson, who is also an active GP. Professor Thompson is the clinical professor and leader of the Center for General Practice at Aalborg University in Denmark. Thanks so much for joining us, Professor Sunago and Professor Thompson. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Could you give us an overview of the digital health ecosystem in Denmark? In Denmark, we have a rather advanced digital health ecosystem because every windows have electronic patient files. We have access to all the patient's data from the GPs and the hospitals do have access to a lot of the patient's data regarding medicine, regarding treatment strategies, and we also have access to clinical guidelines. And what's mostly important is that we do communicate electronically in Denmark. We have a common standard. Is there a single patient identifier that links all of this data together? Yes, we have a single patient. It's not only patients, it's a common personal number which goes for economics, taxes, bank security. So we are able not only in the healthcare system to link people together, but also to link people together with a lot of other informations. So it's it's a very unique thing to have a common personal security number. How did that become the standard in Denmark so that you can have this single patient identifier where this information is freely flowing? I think it it goes back to the 60s when we had that personal registration number that was unique. It was actually introduced for taxing purposes. And then it's just been a far rapid development. I think we have had these standards for more than 20 years. And the one identifier is used not just for healthcare, but for taxation, for licensing, for every public function that someone has? Every public function and for many private functions, you know, salary. When, when you, you want to rent something, you know, when you want to rent a movie, you had to use your, your personal registration number. So, so for everything, it, it's really your identifier. And we use that for all our registers too. So, so that's why we have registers comprising, you know, almost everything we do in Denmark. How do, how do you manage issues of privacy? We've had a number of data breaches from hacking and insufficient systems by corporates in Australia and some government systems as well. What does Denmark have in place to protect privacy for, for individuals? I think that regarding research, we used anonymized files, so so we don't see the files. And if there are any data breaks at the university, we will be actually be punished. You know, we will not have access to using those filing systems for a long time, and we may have fines and and you know, 
and we have a really, really controlling system on that. Is that and the same have, for government? If there's a government department where there has been a breach of data? The government and the same for municipalities. It's the same for everybody who uses this system. And individuals are held legislatively accountable for breaches? Yes. Wow. We have a, a data protection system at a government level, which ensures that everyone is up to standard, including private business who are going to use the personal identification numbers. So we have very little history of data breaches and our system are well-trusted and secured. So there's actually a large awareness of security around this security number in Denmark. There's a saying that says, if no one is responsible, then no one's responsible. And I think that's one of the challenges that we have in Australia, that there's not a personal accountability, that no one is held to account when there is a data breach. It's you know put down to, oh, well, we've got to do more training around awareness. And it's, I think it's a cultural challenge for us mm. legislatively. Yeah, I think it's also about culture in Denmark. You know, we, we are a small country, we are a tribe, and, and the degree of trust is very, very high in Denmark in comparison with many other countries. The trust in your governments is, is much we, we higher. We trust in each other, yeah, yeah. And so I wonder whether Australia culturally is going to be able to do something similar. I think you have to do something similar in, in order to improve your healthcare system and your social welfare system. It's really one of the cornerstone systems in, in our healthcare system. It's data and it's being able to exchange data between different parts of, of the healthcare system and the social welfare system. So there's a very different model for general practitioners in Denmark that is outcome-based rather than transactional basis, which, which we have in Australia. Can you explain a little bit how that works. Yes, every GP in Denmark has a contract which is negotiated from a central organization for the general practitioners with the government. And we have around 30% reimbursement on listed patient and 70% reimbursement on activities. And then we have a lot of different activities. Uh, consultation is one reimbursement if you take samples, that would be another reimbursement. So we have a, a quite well-developed structure for reimbursement and it's negotiable each four years and also gives room for very fast implementation. Like Jens just said, we have a very mature digital health system and combined with our negotiations, it, it gives if something comes into our national contract, it would be very fast implemented. Is it possible to have that system without a mature digital health ecosystem? Yes, I think the structures for the system started well before that we have this very elaborate digital health model. But you need the personal security number to follow patients and to be, to be able to know which patients should have reimbursement for the GPs. So ultimately, you still need that single patient identifier in order to make that model work and that single patient identifier needs to be able to be accessed by a variety of providers not just primary care but hospitals and allied health etc yeah. exactly it's, it's, it's the cool. basis the cornerstone like you said for communication and to be able to follow patient through the healthcare system 
So for our listeners, Denmark is similar in population size to New Zealand. And unlike Australia, you don't have three levels of government. I think you've just got two, sort of your local or regional and then federal. Is that correct? Yes, the municipalities and and then government. How is the outcome-based model of care funded through the federal government? Through the regions. And the municipalities pay a little bit for, for special services, but, but primarily through the regions. And might I ask, a, I guess, a personal question, but one that would be of great interest to general practitioners in Australia. Is it a financially viable job being a general practitioner in Denmark? In Australia, if you are a non-GP specialist, things can be quite financially rewarding, but GPs, are, some of them are struggling to maintain clinics. Yeah, I know. Well, in Denmark, you get a high salary being a GP better than being a hospital specialist. Far better. Wow. So it's rather attractive being a GP in Denmark. And that's a kind of way to ensuring that we have this model with a very good and attractive to be in the primary care health system. And if you want a very efficient healthcare system, you need very good doctors who would see it as very interesting and also financially rewarding to be in primary care where you take care of the gatekeeper role. We have shown that research we have conducted have shown that the the delivery of care, no, the, the quality of care delivered by general practitioners in, in Denmark is very high. So so now the government have decided to move tasks from the hospitals to the general practice, for instance, for diabetes, UPD, uh, and other chronic diseases. And that makes it a very, very efficient system, cost-effective system. And the patient, they actually appreciate that they now can be have the diseases controlled by the, instead of going to the hospitals. Exactly. So we can have a very high level of care close to the patients. Yes. Yeah. Now, there are significant financial benefits and cost reductions in the Danish model. What are some other aspects that have led to a reduction in cost? I think documentation that we have been able to document that the DPs can deliver a high a degree of quality, the, the, the highly, the specialization of the GPs, they, they are highly trained specialists. I think that, that the, the GPs trade union, they have also done rather well here. Also, our educational system is very important. And I think the way we have organized our educate physician as part of the education has almost been through general practice in some times during their education. So we know how it is to work in different places. So and GPs have been at the hospital departments working there and usually the coming GPs, the, the young doctors which are becoming GPs are actually very high thought of in the hospital departments. So we have these connections already doing our educations, which will we will thrive on later on and have a very good connection between primary and secondary care. So doctors in secondary care are not so nervous to let the patient go back to primary care. Right, right. There's a high level of respect and trust and understanding of what the general practitioner is able to do. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And again, 
uh, we have a lot of research in, in general practice in Denmark also. The research units of general practice, they are actually funded by the regents and by the DPs. And thereby we have been able to document the quality delivered by DPs, but also to point out where we should improve the quality delivered. And it's a continuous process. What is the approach to preventative health? How is that funded? It's a part of the national agreement, for instance, for vaccination and children healthcare and cancer prevention, cardiovascular prevention is also a, a, a part of the national agreement. So how do people get rewarded for reducing statistics for those conditions in their general practice? Yeah, they don't. There's no economic incentive, but, but knowing the patient from cradle to grave is the best incentive you could have. How does the cradle-to-grave approach work when there's mobility of workforce or people moving to different locations, changing GPs? I think one of the things is come back to the, the very high level of digitalization in general practice. So if a patient shifts from one a general practitioner, even if they shift from a totally different digital system, we are able to communicate between the systems. So when a patient goes to another city and a new GP, they will have the electronic patient journals referred electronically. So you actually almost don't notice that this is a new patient seen from what you can read in your electronic patient journal. We, we, all right, we have different patient filing systems. We have a common communication standard that makes it possible to exchange information between all these different systems. Is that, do you use SNOMED, the clinical terminology standard? No, no, we, we use I, I, ICD-10 for the hospitals and ICPC for, for, the, um, for, for the GPs. But, but we also have codes for uh, lab data and, and for everything. So, so these systems can exchange information freely. That's yeah. very exciting. So researchers in Denmark have access to population-level data and yes. all of it is basically clean data. Yes. I guess that, that is a part of what would feed into your preventative healthcare, being able to have that kind of population-level data and being able to keep a check on any hotspots for disease that you can then feed back through your outcome-based model. Yes. yes, exactly. And we saw that very much. That, that came very uh, much research out of Denmark during COVID-19 epidemics because we have these very, very good healthcare registers on being able to follow the patients very closely. So if we could talk a bit about medical devices, for example, virtual care wearables, those devices provide real-time information back to hospitals or back to the patient's medical records? How does that work? We have an interface, you know, we have a com communication standard. So when we use devices like blood sugar or other devices, they feed directly into our electronic patient filing systems. And right now we are also testing PCR systems to be used in general practice and feed directly into our systems. So we are actually moving advanced diagnostics out to general practice as we are also moving ultrasonography to general practice But because we, we have shown that these diagnostic tools can be used in general practice and, and they use it to a high degree of quality and it gives value for the patients. The information from some of those at-home monitoring systems and devices, is it real-time that the data gets uploaded to 
the medical record? We don't have that as a routine basis, but we are now developing projects on, on feeding in these data in real time. What's the time lag generally? It's usually daily updates. That's still pretty good. <laughs> still, that's still a long way ahead of where, what we've got in Australia. Do paramedics have, so ambulance officers, do they have access to patient record as well? No, but they have the, they interlink with our patient journals. So would a paramedic be able to see whether someone is on medication while they're treating a patient in their home? The medication, but they'll not be able to have very advanced look into the patient's history. They will be able to communicate with the hospitals and then they will receive that information. So they can call up. Real time, yes. Get that information yeah. from the hospital. And for instance, ICDs will be sent electronically real time. So heart physician will be able to, to monitor the ECD while the paramedics is treating the patient. That's a pretty positive outcome for the healthcare system as well. Just to supplement with one thing, it's not only variables that we have data from, but even though it's quite low-tech, I think it's very important to mention that patient-reported outcome measurements are able to go directly into our electronic patient journals as well. So yeah. if you want a, a, a score for anxiety or depression or you want home blood pressure measurements, we are able to send an email to the to the patient and they'll be able to report directly into the electronic patient journal for a lot of different patient-reported outcome measurements. Are there any automatic flags for GPs? Say, for example, someone is extremely high for a very risky self-reported symptom. Yes, especially for our blood samples. When they're coming back, they are flagged if they're out of normal range and there's red green, yellow indicator on discharge notes from the hospital. We have a common saying in Australia that, you know, Scandinavians do things, they do everything so much better. And I think this is probably one example of that. I think we have a lot we can give out, especially concerning our healthcare systems, but certainly we also have a, having our problems as well. But due to this long tradition with having a personal registration number and a very high level of digitalization, I think we have a lot of experiences to give to other healthcare systems. And it sounds like the level of training and respect and credibility that is given to general practice as a specialization is something that has been able to uplift the digital health ecosystem and, and really bring it to its full potential. Yeah, well, actually, the DPs, they, they have been those in front of the digital health evolution in the Danish healthcare system. They've been pushing for it. They, yeah, yeah, they, they were preceding the hospitals, actually, with electronic patient filing systems. What are some other important elements about the Danish model that you would like to share with us? Well, I think about the Danish model, it's shown important that the GPs, they're independent contractors. They own their own clinics because we think we have some indication that when the GPs are employed, they don't deliver the same quality. And it's very important for their motivation also that they own their own clinics. But still, they should have a contract with the regions. This works very well. And then it's about the high level of education, both postgraduate in the specialization process, but also afterwards. They spend, I think it's 10 days, isn't it, Janus, uh, per year on just keeping up to date activities. 
Yes, exactly. And these 10 days are actually paid by in the agreement. So there's money set aside for research, quality development and education in the contract between the general practitioners and the health authorities. And then it's about the research. We have very skilled general practice researchers in Denmark, as you have in, in Australia, I know. But, but this research feeds directly into development of general practice. And that's, that's important. So we closely collaborate with people from the postgraduate um, sections and with people that are involved in quality development. I think that this is very important. What is quality development and research funding that those 10 days, that's a part of that funded package could go either way for professional development or for research? Yes, but it, it's money set aside for quality development, money set aside for the research units and money set aside for continuous medical education. So actually it's, it's how do you say, three piles of money set aside. But then there's a large degree of collaboration. So the research units collaborate with the educational units and with the quality development units. Could you give me an example of some projects under the quality development units? What sort of things might they be looking at? Yeah, right now I could mention one. We have one that actually is involving both educational issues, quality development and research. We have a project concerning polypharmacy where we have people who are specially educated in pharmaceutical. They go out from the quality development unit and train the general practitioners and the nurses how to react to polypharmacy in their patients. And they have, they sit in with some of the consultations and helping the, both the GPs and the nurses concerning patients with polypharmacy. And then the research units are doing the evaluation in randomized controlled trials. And Jens, what were some of the projects that you might mention? We do a lot of projects together with all the other research units and also with other research units in all of Europe and also outside Europe. And right now we're doing projects on how to decrease the antibiotic consumptions in, in many countries and EU project and, and Janus is also part of this project. And we also have a project on how to decrease the waiting times for for cancer diagnostic in, in primary care and in secondary care. Mm. My final question to each of you is, what is it that excites you about general practice? Well, I think there's a lot of very exciting thing about general practice and we are both GPs by background and actually we have seen patients. So I think being able to see the patient from cradle to grave is a very high incentive for doing the very best for the patients and that's our way into general practice. Then there's all the possibilities of having flexibility concerning education, being part of research and quality development, which also a, a very rewarding. And I think what is totally essential is that there is a very good collaboration with the high specialized department in the hospital and in the municipalities. Yeah, I think it's spot on what Diana said. It's, it's probably the best job in the world. No, oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Professor Jan Sunogo and Professor Janis Thompson. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a happy new year, both of you. Same to you. Same to you. Thank you. You've just been hearing from Danish GP Professor Jens Sunago, who leads the General Practice Research Unit at the University of Southern Denmark. And he's been joined by Professor Jens Thompson, General Practitioner and Leader 
of the Centre for General Practice at Aalborg University in Denmark. I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me in the Tea Room. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can search for us on your favourite podcast player and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. If you have any news tips or want to chat, you can email me at wendy at medicalrepublic.com.au. The Tea Room is a production from the journalists at the Medical Republic. Visit us at medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.